0: We will be in Luke chapter five today. (laughs) Are you about everything new? New cars, new technology, new books, new people new inventions, new talent. You know, our culture is all about what is new. And this can get us in big trouble. But also, we can be all about what's old. Old cars, old books, old people, old traditions. Our culture is not about this normally, but... We as Christians can sometimes overreact to our culture and take the approach that old is uh, great and it's the only way, and this would be bad too. Today we're going to see there is a standard for us to understand on deciding whether to go with something old or new, whether to go with tradition or not. We're going to see there was a time in the past when out with the old and in with the new was a good thing. And that's what we see in our passage in Luke chapter 5 today. We've been walking along and seeing in Luke the tension that is beginning to rise, arguments and discussions between the Pharisees and scribes and Jesus own the more Jesus is shown and revealed the more people begin to publicly oppose him the Pharisees and scribes are becoming a real problem for Jesus the Pharisees represented all that Judaism had become they were typical Jews during that day but in Luke chapter 5 today we're going to see another contradiction We first saw in Luke 5, 21, the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? That was their first question of him. Then last week we saw in Luke chapter 5, the Pharisees and scribes began grumbling at his disciples, Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Both times, Jesus answered the Pharisees and scribes with the call to think differently. First, he said, I'm not blaspheming. I am the Lord who heals both physically and spiritually. Jesus then says, in effect, I'm here to humble the broken sinners, not those that consider themselves righteous in their own eyes. Today, we see this tension continue to arise as Jesus confronts the old, tarnished religion of the Jews. As we all know, Christianity arose out of Judaism. However, What Judaism was during Jesus' day was not what God intended for it to become. It was a religious system filled with human traditions. And the truth was very hard to find. Today, we're going to see Jesus is confronting these leaders of the old religious system. Let's read our passage in Luke chapter 5, verses. 6. 33 to 39 and they said to him the disciples of john often fast and prayer fast and offer prayers the disciples of the pharisees also do the same but yours eat and drink and jesus said to them you cannot make the attendants of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them can you But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will come, or then they will fast in those days. And he was also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine in the wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. And it will be spilled out. And the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put in fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. For, he says, the old is good enough. Let's pray. Father a passage for us to meditate on, a passage for us to think on. Thank you, Father, for revealing your Son to us, that he is the groom, the bridegroom. And help us, Father, to delight in him and to trust in him. We pray now that today that we will see whether our religion is the one that lines up with Scripture, with your word and truth. Help us, Father, to trust you, and to obey you, and serve you, and learn from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, today... Sorry, I didn't switch that. Today, we all must evaluate our own religious system to see if it lines up with the truth. Does what we think... Line up with the Bible. Is the way that we do church aligned up with Scripture? Does it go with what the Bible says? The passage breaks down into three simple sections. First, there is the confrontation. That is, the Pharisees come and confront him again. Second, there's the explanation to explain or answer or respond to the Pharisees. And third, there are the illustrations. Now, I do admit to you these last three illustrations are very difficult. They were ones that I didn't understand the first hundred times I read them. a matter of fact, until this week, I don't think I really had a good grasp of what they mean. It's strange how you can have a section in the Bible where you read over it, And you have no idea what it means, but you just keep going. You've got to take the time to actually sit down and study it to figure it out. This is one of those cases. Uh, The patch of clothing and all of that, what does that mean? We'll talk about it today. That's his illustration. The people would have understood. The disciples would have understood, at least. I'm not quite sure if the Pharisees got it. As we look at each of these parts... We need to recognize the great value of Christ, the gospel of Jesus. That's the point. These have again, these events, again, highlight the great value of the good news of the person and work of Jesus. How do you view Christ? How important is he to you? That is the message. It's not about religion. It's about Christ. What is your relationship with him? So first, let's start with the confrontation. The confrontation is found in verse 33. And they said to him, that is, we'll talk in a second who the they is, but they said to Jesus, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. Who are these that... Confront Jesus. Who are these people? Well, in Matthew nine fourteen, there's a parallel passage to this, and it says the disciples of John came to Jesus. Okay, so the they is the disciples of John. In in Mark and Luke chapter five. Well, then why didn't it say that? Well, in Mark chapter two eighteen, it says the Pharisees came to him, and the other parallel passage. Uh Uh-oh, we've got a problem. The disciples of John came to him? (laughs) Or was it the Pharisees that came to him? Then our passage says they. (laughs) Who's they? Well, most likely referring to the Pharisees and the scribes previously mentioned. So what happened? Who came to him? Yes. (laughs) All of them came to him. (laughs) The disciples of John and the Pharisees. That The Bible doesn't contradict. He's telling a different angle, making different emphasis. What is the emphasis here? What is the point here in our passage in Luke, chapter 5? The context implies the Pharisees and scribes. But it's important to note John's disciples were not being led by John anymore. Where was John. John was in jail already at this time. So John's own disciples appear to have gone away a little bit from the teaching of John and and flocked back to the Pharisees' concepts. The idea of self-righteousness. It's interesting to me that the teaching of the Bible can actually be taken wrong. Even John's followers... John the Baptist's followers, were missing major points. They were missing the whole idea of what following Christ and getting ready for the Messiah was all about. So this group of men come to confront Jesus, and they are stuck in their old religious system that that had eroded into or become works righteousness. While it was found in the Old Testament law, and the need for righteousness was there, it degraded into something of, okay, I'm going to follow this law so that I'm right with God. I'm going to do these works so that I'm right with God. Legalism, right? Judaism during Jesus' day was, was characterized by a few things. First... Attempting to keep the law of God by self-determination. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work and make this happen. I can follow the Ten Commandments. I can follow the law to the T by self-determination. Second, Judaism had become keeping the law to earn God's favor. Following the Bible so God will bless you following the Bible so that God would take you to heaven. That's what Judaism had become. It had also become outward piety, or outward holiness, so others would notice. It was coming and being real religious, so people would look at you and say, now that guy is really holy. It was all about outward show. And then finally, It was external self-righteousness. It was self-promotion. It's about me. This is what religion, Jewish religion, had fallen into. This is why Jesus rebuked it over and over again. This (coughs) truth, the truth of the Old Testament, had been turned into a lie by people. They had turned the Bible upside down and made it about man instead about God. Notice what they had begun to do. Jesus confronts them and says this in Matthew 6. He says, When you pray, you are to not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full but you when you pray go into your inner room close your door pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees you sees what is done in secret will reward you you know i went to israel uh, a while back and it hasn't changed (laughs) the wailing law y'all know about the wailing wall The Jewish people, you know, many of the ascetic Jews, they pray out loud and they bob their heads like this. Like this. And they pray really loud their prayers like this. And they wave back and forth, oh, oh. Why are they doing this? Why? To be noticed. To be known to be very religious. That's exactly what Jesus is dealing with here. Religion for the sake of self-promotion. This is who he's dealing with, the Pharisees and the scribes, and even some of John's disciples. Notice also, he confronted them in Matthew six sixteen. Jesus said, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your hand, wash your face. So, your fast will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Can't you see him? Oh, I've seen this before, even in Christian circles, announcing I'm fasting right now. Why are you telling me? Don't tell me. Who's it for? Oh, man, I went three days without eating. Man, fasting's hard. Give me a break. Who are you doing it for? To be noticed by man? To honor God. This is the old religion. It's interesting. Christianity's doing the same thing many in the circles watch a roman catholic service just one time watch all the garb and everything on what are they doing who are they performing for it's to be noticed by man that's the opposite this is who this is who is confronting jesus There's one more I wanted to notice. Look at this. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at Jesus. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. These are the Pharisees. So the natural question for all of us is, uh, is this us? Are we here for this reason? I hope not. I have to confess that the message hammered me last night. Oh, the hypocrisy in my own heart that I have to put to death regularly I hope you see it in your own lives. Are you the same here as you are at home? Do you treat your kids the same here as you treat your kids at home? Do you talk like here, like you talk there? Or are you religious now so people will like you and you come confronting anybody that doesn't have that smile on? There's problems. This is who comes to confront Jesus, the Pharisees and scribes, and even some of the disciples of John. So what is the substance of their confrontation? What do they say? They say, your disciples are eating and drinking, not fasting like everybody else. Why not? Remember, last time... The scribes and Pharisees attacked the disciples and questioned Jesus. Now it's been reversed. Now the scribes and Pharisees are attacking Jesus with regards to his disciples. What is happening? A division over and over and over. A divide. What is fasting? What did it become? Fasting was a way to show your own holiness. The religious Jews had made it a requirement that they be done twice a week. If you didn't fast twice a week, you weren't holy. The law of Moses didn't appear to say that. Matter of fact, the law of Moses maybe refers to it one time a year on the day of atonement. Fasting was a method of putting away the things of the world to seek God. That's what it should have been. It was an idea that I could put this away so I could seek the Father completely. But instead, it had become a self-righteous set of standards where I could make myself look good and earn God's favor. Like the Pharisee Jesus spoke about in this parable in Luke 18. Look at this verse. Jesus says, Two men went up to the temple. We have a Another wow, put you on the
1: spot.
0: What's your name? Nice to meet you, Cindy. <laughs> Never met you before. You know, I pray for you to come here today. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I don't understand why God answers prayers so quickly, but He is gracious and good. He is good. Thank you for coming. So, so look at this verse Jesus says two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other the tax collector the Pharisee stood and was praying this to who? to himself <laughs> to himself keyword God I thank you that I'm not like other people swindlers unjust Adulterers, even like this tax collector over there. He goes on and says, I fast twice a week and I pay a tenth of all that I get. What is that? Self promotion. This is what the Pharisees were about. Your disciples, they don't fast like us. Back to our passage. They're not like us. Then we pray out loud where everybody can see us. We fast, and matter of fact, our faces look real gloomy right now, don't they? But your disciples, they're happy. They're rejoicing. They're partying, for lack of a better term. Who are the Pharisees confronting here? Just for a second, stop and think about the irony of this. They are confronting Jesus. And who is Jesus? God Himself in the flesh. Can you imagine? It's wild talking about a religious process and praying and they're questioning the very God man about his disciples don't you think he can take care of talking to his disciples about how holy they are or not but this is what self-righteousness does it blinds you ladies and gentlemen you can't see the truth You just see everybody else's faults. And all you see is wickedness everywhere and nothing but good in yourself. You can't even identify God himself if he was in your midst. If you're a legalist, I'm convinced. If you're a legalist, if Jesus showed up today, you wouldn't recognize him. He wouldn't be holy enough for you. That's a wild thought. We all need to recognize, ladies and gentlemen, that this is our propensity. This is who we are. We, too, are still prone to self-exaltation. You think you're good, but you're not. You know, there's times where I sit and I think to myself, Why in the world did God choose me to be a pastor? I don't deserve this, and I shouldn't. It's horrible. Do you see your own hypocrisy? At the same time, I'm afraid, and I see it in my own heart, the propensity to still, as a pastor, to look down on other people. I admit it. I admit it wrong. And it's in our heart. It's inbred in us. This is who you are. You look out and you see everybody else's sin and you don't see your own. Shame on us. So what's the answer? What's the answer? If we stopped here, I hope it wouldn't be clean yourself up and quit being a hypocrite. Self-determination. I'm going to get better. Not going to be a hypocrite anymore. It's not the answer. Not self determination. I can do it. It is Christ's answer. The explanation he gives. Joy. What is this? It's a good picture, isn't it? I was looking through your pictures last night and looking for the wedding picture. What does Jesus use here? In his sermon, he uses a picture, picture languages, to try to explain the disciples' behavior. He tries to tell why are the disciples eating and drinking? And he says, real simple, he he compares himself to the bridegroom, Jesus. I'm the bridegroom, and my disciples are the groomsmen. Here's the bridegroom. Here's the groomsmen. At a wedding. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of weddings? I thought joy. And I started looking at some of the pictures. And it was everywhere. But this one was the best one. This is the buzz <laughs> smile. Great joy. Jesus was in their midst. The God-man, The Messiah. What in the world would they put on a gloomy face for and go and do an old dead religion like fasting? The Messiah's there. The bridegroom's there. Smile. Joy. And that's what he gets at in this passage. Look at it. Look what he says. Enjoying Jesus is the answer. In verse 34, Jesus said to them, You cannot make the attendance. Of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them. can you Jesus answers the self-righteous ones by saying in effect my disciples are enjoying me and all that is involved with me coming fasting was associated with mourning but Jesus was there so joy should be there then in Luke 529 it's a very similar thing Levi had thrown a giant party Getting all the people together to show off Christ, not to exalt himself, and not for fleshly reasons, but to exalt Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing again is no trouble to me. It is a safeguard for you. And in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It is very important for us to understand that knowing Christ is where our joy is found. It's not in self-exaltation. It's not in the old religion of promoting self. It's in the exaltation of Christ and our satisfaction with Christ. Desperately seeking Jesus would come in time, Jesus says in verse 35. But days will come. And when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. Folks, it's important for us to understand that a violent day was coming for Jesus when he was going to be ripped from the disciples and they were going to kill him on a cross. But even then, he would rise from the dead and send the spirit that would provide joy despite the circumstances. The time of seeking the Savior's wisdom and favor and decisions would come. But at that time, he was there. So, I think it's very interesting. I I got to this passage and I thought to myself, you know, I really need to deal a little bit with fasting, whether you should do it or not. Who can guess? How many many times do you think fasting is mentioned in the New Testament after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? a guess. Five times. Less. Three times. Three times. And two of them are in one section when they're about to send out the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, to on the mission field. That's two, the words mentioned. And the other is when elders were appointed in a local church there. No other time. It's not mandated anywhere. It's never told to do Yet we have New believers, or new church, we have people that say that you should be doing this all the time. Even conservatives, conservative Christians write books on fasting. It doesn't say it. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't do it? No. I think there might be some time for it. But I will tell you this we have to be very careful what our motives are in what we're doing it and why we do it. If we do it for self-promotion or to earn favor with God, we're missing the point. If we're doing it out of humble worship of God, you give up meals to spend some time, extra time with God, great. But we have joy. We know the delight of being satisfied with the Savior. He's here. He came, and he's given us a spirit. We talk to him. We know him. We enjoy him. A new day has arrived, and it does not fit with the old ways. Now, he does illustrate these points. This comes to the hardest part of the message: the illustration. Jesus uses these parables to illustrate this concept. He uses the patch on an, uh, the new patch of cloth, uh, cloth on an old garment second new wine in an old wine skin third one who drinks old wine all three of these though describe or illustrate give pictures give understanding for the listener of the same concept and that is this a new day has arrived and it does not fit with the old way works righteousness Is gone joy and satisfaction in the Savior is here new oh they don't work together that's the point the first one the new patch on the old clothes and Luke 5 it says 36 and he was also telling them a parable no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment Otherwise, he will both tear the new and the piece of the new will not match the old. old. What is he saying? He's using a picture to compare the two ideas. The new garment represents the new day with the Messiah. The new garment. The old garment represents old Judaism with its self-righteousness and self-exaltation. So in effect, he says, this new time of being satisfied in Jesus doesn't match the old religion that's all about works, righteousness. It doesn't work. You're not, they're not going to hook up with you. The disciples of me that know me and enjoy me will not fit with works, righteousness and the old dead religion. It doesn't match. You can't put those two together even though we try, right? We try and we try and we try, and we go back to it because our hearts are desperately sick. Why has Christianity, why did Christianity get to the place of needing a reformation in the 1500s? Why? Because it went back to the old dead way. It tried to make Christianity about what we do instead of delighting in what Christ has done. That's exactly. It's like ripping a new garment and putting it on an old garment. It doesn't work. And that's why a Reformation was needed. Why is Martin Luther so important? Why did God use him? Why is John Calvin so important? Why are these men so important? Because they said, let's stop the old dead religion. Let's go back to what is new and right, to have our sins forgiven and to know and be satisfied with Christ. The second illustration is the new wine in the old wineskin. He says in verse 37 and 38, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put in fresh wine skins. Again, the new wine represents the new day of rejoicing in Christ. The old skins represent old Judaism and self-righteousness. So the new day of being completely satisfied with Christ doesn't work with it. And then finally, he says, the one who drinks old wine, the last one, no one after drinking old wine, which is for new, for he says, the old is good enough. Now, what in the world does he mean by good thus? Well, the one who drinks old wine is the Jewish person that wants to work their way to heaven. They are all about what? Self-promotion. Look at me. It's all about righteousness. My righteousness. Not his righteousness. Me. And I like the way it tastes. <laughs> I like that I'm, it's all about me. I like that religion is all about me. I like that walk in and set the standard, the bar wherever i want it <laughs> because see if i set the holiness bar at this level or maybe this level i can jump over it no problem but i can make it really high for you <laughs> see i like works righteousness i like it when it's about me That's what the old religion is all about. That's what the old wine, you drink that old wine and you don't want the new stuff. Because what's the new stuff about? Exalting Christ, not yourself. The new religion is about what? Exalting Christ Jesus, not promoting yourself and saying, I'm all that. Matter of fact, You know what the new religion is about? Saying, I'm a sinner. I'm desperately needy. I'm no good. That's the new one. Nobody wants to drink that one if you tried the old one. Why? Let me ask you a question. Why are you here today? You know, I often think about this with my children. You know, I hope and pray that we don't promote righteousness by coming to church. Righteousness by being in a godly family. Righteousness by how you look. You're in my home, so you're a good person. Wrong. That is the old one. That's garbage. truth is found on exalting Christ (coughs) who's your life about why are you here why do you smile you know I'm asking hard questions huh why do you shake hands why do you greet people why do you come to church so people will look at you? So people will look at you and say, man, this guy's pretty consistent. He comes right here. Do you come because you want people to notice you? You don't want to let somebody down? Or do you come because you're satisfied with Christ? You find delight light in knowing him. You want to know His Word. You want to know Him. You want to exalt Christ. It's a hard question, isn't it? That's what our lives should be about. Rejoicing in the Savior. Now, by the way, that does not mean I can fulfill all my fleshly desires. Because after all, I'm rejoicing in Christ. Give me another beer. No. That would miss the point, wouldn't it? Hey, let's have one for Jesus. No, that would miss the point, wouldn't it? Cheers. No. Actually, it's the opposite. Because I'm satisfied with Jesus, I don't need another beer. I'm satisfied with Christ, I don't need the things of the world. I just want to enjoy Christ and love him and share him. And I want to rejoice and share him with others. That's what it's about. It's not about self-promotion. It's not about fulfilling my fleshly desires. It's about being completely satisfied with Christ. Eating and drinking for the glory of Christ. To honor Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your grace and your life. We do pray, Lord, that you'll help us now to have right motives, to not be a hypocrite, to honor you as you deserve. Not to go back to the old ways of self righteousness. Our righteousness is found in Christ alone. We thank you for Him. We commit our time to Him. In Jesus' name.